Welcome to Black Man White Paper. I'm Ibrahim Babis. Um, it's been a while since I've been on the podcast, and I did want to just explain why it took me so long to do my fourth uh, recording. And a large part of that was just because I, I wasn't feeling it. And um, because no one's paying me to do this, I, I don't have to feel compelled to do it. It's really more of a vocational thing. So if I feel as though uh, something's calling me to do it, I'll do it. And um, I felt that recently when I was speaking with my boy, Rob. Um, and that's why I invited him on the podcast. Uh, he has an incredible spirit. Um, he's someone who I've just connected with uh, for the longest time. Uh, and I can't explain why, but I think we kind of discover why in our uh, conversation that we had today. But um, I hope you enjoy it. I think you'll realize that um, there's a reason why he's, his uh, love is such so infectious. Uh, he comes from an incredible background, and he's an incredibly loving person. Uh, I know you'll enjoy it like I did. Here he is, Rob Thomas. <laughs> you set that tone. I did. I did. I did, man. Was, anyway, um, yeah, man, let's get into it, bro. Um, I, one thing that was on my mind uh, from we, when we first got this started, when, when I first um, decided to do this was like, I, I just always felt like we had this connection, me and you, you know, like um, it's like this unspoken connection. Like I, I know what you're feeling and you know what I'm feeling. And this is very bromancian right now, but <laughs> I, I, do, I do feel that way. Like I, I remember a friend of mine telling me, um, she's like, you and Rob, like you and Rob have like this weird, like, a, like they, you guys can communicate without communicating. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I actually agree with her, but I'm curious what you're like, if you ever, if you <clears throat> have the same takeaways from our relationship. Yeah, definitely a factual statement. Um, it's funny, um, you know, now that we're graduated from Bucknell obviously we we played together so we had a a connection on the court um but we always kind of made fun of each other joked around like all the other guys do and uh connected over music always sharing music and going back and forth that way but it's funny the relationships that develop after school is over um a lot of those relationships kind of fall to the wayside or people get busy with their own lives but um, with you and I, I feel like that connection again, super bromancy, like you said, but that <laughs> that connection kind of grew stronger, even as we kind of progressed through our our lives as adults and after Bucknell, uh, which I always thought was really interesting because we weren't in the same place ever again, other than visiting with each other. But that connection actually grew, and I think part of it is because we've we've helped each other so much in difficult times. Mm. Um, and I think that really can, can grow a relationship um, because you're really at your most vulnerable state uh, in those mm. difficult times and being able to have that comfort or trust and the person that you're confiding in. Um, I think that can only really help a relationship. So I'm super grateful for, for our relationship and, you know, um, can be serious at times, but also we know how to kind of dial it back and, and joke with each other, which I think is really important too. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you talked about college. Like, I mean, I remember obviously the experiences I had with you in college, but I could probably count all of them in like one hand. Right. You know? And then when we graduated, I mean, I remember. I, and this isn't, I didn't do this intentionally, but I, I pretty much was like on my, in a, my own silo after college. When you compare like the relationship you had with our teammates versus the ones that I had with our teammates, you mm-hmm. know, um, I just felt, I just kind of went off the grid. I did right. my own thing. And this is, and this was no doing of anyone else's. It was just, this is just the path that I took, you know, but um, I just felt like some force pulled me back to I guess you could say my roots and um one of the people who was there waiting for me for sure was you yeah so uh and I hope you could feel the same way about me but I think 
I don't know if our relationship gets to where it gets to if it wasn't where if it wasn't for all of the hardships we had. Yeah, I, um, I completely that we kind agree. Of suffered together. Completely yeah. agree. Yeah. So um, I did want to talk about a few things. I got a few things written down here, and you tell me where you want to go. But you know, I figure we're both married men. Yep. Uh, I actually just got done um, giving my wife a little foot rub. You know, because um, her feet are hurting. She's pregnant and all that. Oh, yeah. And I know you just, you texted me, like, I got to cook for my wife, all this. So I'm curious, like, just anything you want to kind of touch about, touch on when it comes to, like, marriage and your role in marriage, uh, just because, I mean, you're you're more than a year in now, right? Yeah, we're coming up on two years two, now, Yeah, right? two years. It'll be two yeah. years uh, next month. Um, wow. I will say that with marriage, you're not, there's no real way to really prepare for it. So you speak with your other friends that are married or going through it, or you speak with, you know, your family members. Um, it's funny. My, my dad, he always is very um, opinionated and, and tries to be as helpful as possible, giving me advice. Um, mm -hmm. And he's always been kind of that voice of, of reason. I kind of always go back to him when I'm, when it's something really important to kind of get his, his, uh, his thoughts on it. And we couldn't disagree more when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to marriage. And I think that's really funny because we usually agree on pretty much everything else. Um, wow. but he's such a traditionalist, right? So, um, my parents have been married probably, I think it's coming up on might be 30 years already. And, wow. Obviously, times have changed since then uh, when they first got married and the man was the head of the household, the breadwinner, um, kind of my house, my rules type of thing. And mm -hmm. he's trying to give me like those pointers or, you know, those advice when you're going in, into marriage. And my relationship with my wife, Jasmina, like it's not like that at all. So, mm. um we kind of try to keep everything on a level playing field. There's no, this is my house. These are my rules. Um, we kind of, <laughs> right. it's just, that's not going to go well for anybody at, at, at this stage. Um, yeah. So again, like you can't really prepare for it. Um, you kind of just have to be very in tune with your partner um, and understand their wants and their needs and make sure that you guys are communicating and always on the same page as far as, you know, where the relationship is going. And it's not like, you get married and then you, you stop working on things, right? You have to mm -hmm. continue to talk to each other. And, you know, marriage is almost really that kind of that first step. Um, and then you're continuing to explore each other. Um, it only gets, it should get, uh, you know, much more deep and a much more meaning, meaningful relationship as you, as you continue to grow with, within your marriage. So um, it's not really anything that you can prepare for. It's something that you're always constantly learning and, um, I look to my friends, especially especially you, um, and how you're so. <laughs> I mean, I've been married longer than you have, but you are so. You love your wife, and it's yeah. it's really refreshing. I remember on your wedding day, man, like your speech had me in tears. Um, <laughs> I'm like, damn, I'm not even the one getting married. Oh <laughs> no. But yeah, it's it's just it's beautiful to watch. Um, and when you talk about your wife, I, I can just you know hear that that passion, that love, and that's something that people should always be striving for because that's what's really going to keep it fresh and, and keep it from getting stale. So um, yeah, it's something that you're always always on the on the on the go and always learning from each other. It's really important. Yeah, I like the way I see marriage, man. I just I crowdsource as much information as I can. You know, like. Uh, it's almost like the same as like trying to get smarter, you know, like you're just trying to become, you know, more, uh, be more equipped to deal with any kind of thing that comes your way of marriage. But like, I remember uh, a few, a few things when it comes to just like lessons I've had in the last few years. First of all, you, you talk about my wedding. I actually remember your wedding exactly. Um, because first of all, it was a little chilly. A little outside. bit, a little bit. But, we we tried to keep it short. Day, yeah, but the, the 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 more important piece was when the I, I don't know he's a minister. I'm assuming. Yeah, um, was speaking, 
He's your pastor. Okay. So when, when he, you and jazz were standing, I believe you were on the right. Uh, like if I'm, if I'm facing the, the right. altar, you were on my right. Right. Uh, jazz is on the left. Darren was on the left, I believe as well yeah. with the, with the guitar. And your pastor said, you got you here and you here. And in between the way you stay together is you, you got to keep God between the two of you. Right. And um, I actually will never forget that. Like, I remember looking at my wife, I was like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> right? It was yeah. like one of those, <laughs> one of those things. Oh, snap. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of those today. Right. Okay. Right. You know, it's so funny because, um, like, you go to an event and it's there's a lot of this fanfare. There's, you know, there's a, it's, it's a celebration. But then, like, at the heart of it is, like, real stuff, real people. You know what I mean? It's not, like, we're doing it almost as a form of en- entertainment. But, like, at the heart of it is two real people joining like a real union Mm -hmm. for life you know what i mean and when he said that it just made it real for me you know um because it kind of made me reflect on you know my relationship i wasn't married yet at the time but i was looking at it i was like oof, okay right let's let's do it you know um so i I remember that and then another moment i remember and this is with one of our friends a mutual friends db um we were driving one day in uh i think it was uh, richmond and i think we were like going somewhere to eat and he was telling me because he's been with mayor i mean longer than any of us has been with somebody it's been right? a decade yeah yeah so he told me he's like uh, i hope i'm not like you know selling them out here but he said like i don't like i love i love mayor but i'm not like trying to jump on her like i used to you know what i mean right um but i still love her so i have to choose to love her through different acts that i know she appreciates mm-hmm. you know and not like st- not you know hey you know girl let me go go ahead and get in them jeans you know right. what i mean like i have to i have to find ways that i know she would appreciate because that's how i maintain this love and and i'm butchering the way he explained it but like it just was it resonated with me because it was almost like it's like and this is a really bad very very bad analogy but it's like a job you know what i mean like if you you you're, you 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 the, the effort you put into the job makes the job right? right it's not like the stuff that comes at you and i just feel like what he was saying was you make your marriage you know what i mean um the effort any kind of energy you put into it that will make the quality of your marriage and i and i just those two things stand out to me yeah still yeah um well, speaking of dv he kind of put me on to um the love languages i don't know if you've heard of that before yeah yeah, it's a good book. Um, Very good book. And I didn't get all the way through it, to be completely honest, but the idea really kind of stuck with me. And it's something that I, you know, it's one of those things that you don't, you have to continue to work on. Like you said, the, the relationship you have to continue to work on, but really being cognizant of your your partner's language and making sure you do mm. your best to speak that. Because if you don't and you are only focused on how you feel loved or how you see love um and you're not speaking the same language as your partner it's going to get very confusing um Mm. and i feel like if you can keep that in the front of your mind you know am i speaking my my significant other's language um acts of kindness or um just like little Uh, like little words of assurance yeah gifts right yeah. and again I'm, I'm butchering it too but just trying to keep that idea am i speaking the right language to my partner because you know this is a way that they're going to feel loved and that's just going to you know be mutually benefit both of us so i think that's something that's really important too no doubt no doubt um you mentioned your father and uh i definitely want to talk about just like the role he played because i tell you like you know i, be, I read a lot about um just like how like there's a lot of theories about how fatherlessness is like affected the black community mm-hmm. um and I, I mean i don't i don't want to say i subscribe to it or not i just like the fact that like that's like people's opinion that's a that's a reason people think like we've kind of you know been where we, we've been where we were in terms of accomplishments and you know social mobility and stuff. Right. But like, I remember when I got to Bucknell and I'm looking around, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at DB, I'm looking at Chuck, I'm looking at how, like every one of you guys had like active fathers in your lives. Right, right, really, really fortunate. Yeah, and it's such a, it's such a unique thing for me because like, 
when I was in high school, there was, you can count the number of black people at my high school at one hand, right? Mm-hmm. Three of them were my boys, right? okay? Every single one of us had no father in our life. And my dad, not to say like he wasn't around period, but like he wasn't, um, he, he didn't live with us, but he was an active, he, he had an active role in my life, but he just wasn't there as much as my mother was there. My mother's ubiquitous, right? She just, you can't escape her. Right. And I think your for you guys, like you could wake up in the middle of the night, walk over to the room, you know, your, your parents' room and see your dad. Like I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I always wondered, like, I guess you don't know how it, fortunate it is to have a father, but I'm guessing, I'm wondering like how you believe your father impacted your life. Cause he, my, my father impacted mine too, but I don't think it's to the same level as, as if he had been, you know, living with yeah. us. Yeah. Um, that's a super deep question. Yeah. No, I'm, sorry. That's good. I'm, I'm getting there. That's good though. Um, the, my relationship with my father is a little, I don't know the right word. It's a little, little strange. So um, yes, he's always, he's always been there. He's always been that positive male role model. Um, like you said, I could walk down the hall and, and, talk to him anytime I wanted. He was always, always pretty much around. Um, my dad, he grew up very, very tough, um, tough love. Um, he was a former Marine. Um, I did, I did not know yeah, that. So the way that he loves is very cold. Um, <laughs> it's coming okay. out really, really negative, and I don't mean it mean it to sound that way. But he's always been uh, uh, he's it. always been very buttoned up, um, very uh, very serious man. Um, taught me discipline, taught me work ethic, taught me to um, you know take care of myself because um, that's the only way that I'm going to be able to you know kind of offer the best version of myself to other people. And I didn't really kind of understand that until recent, um, mm. but he's always, he was always very buttoned up and it was yes, sir, no, sir. Um, and it wasn't a lot of, I love you's being thrown around with my dad. Mm. Um, but mm. I knew he loved me. He always provided sure. everything for me. Anytime I asked for, you know, a new pair of J's, he would, he would say, no, I would go to my mom and then my mom would work on him and then <laughs> he ended up getting them for me anyway. So those types of things, like I, I knew he, I knew he loved me. He was always, always around. Um, but with my friends, right, I, I grew up, I went to high school and it was three black kids. I was one of them. Um, one of the other ones was a, was a girl. The other guy was a kind of a, a nerdy kid. Um, and my dad, he worked so hard. Um, and he was with ADP for a really long time and we moved around a lot, but it was always to affluent areas. So I was really only the minority, the only minority, um, in school. So I didn't really have that exposure to other black kids and their issues, um, Hmm. which I think kind of molded me a certain way. And then when I got to when I got to Bucknell, it was really the first time that I was kind of immersed in uh, like black culture, but in a bubble, because you know how Bucknell yeah. is. But Absolutely. I really gravitated towards, you know, you and Don and Chuck and Holland. And I was like, it, I was so thirsty for that camaraderie because I had never had that growing mm-hmm. up. Um but I don't want to get, you know, digress too much away from my father. No, I, I, I love where you're going. Yeah. Now, so whatever, wherever you want um, to take it. And my, my, my parents, they were always extremely supportive. They were at pretty much every Bucknell game, uh, which is really hard to imagine now that I look back on it. Um, I mean, <laughs> they even traveled yeah. to Ireland and London with us um, and they were there. And I was extremely fortunate because, you know, you can look around the stands and, you know, there's parents not there and you're meeting, you're, you know, you're coming out of the locker room and my parents, I could always count on them being there. Even if I didn't want to see them because I had a bad game or whatever, um, I knew that they were always going to be there. So that was something that's really stuck with me and something that I definitely want to provide my children uh, once I'm mm. blessed to to have one or two or however many jazz wants. Um, <laughs> but it's it's definitely... 
it's definitely important because you have to have that male role model in your life, uh, whether that's your father, your friends, your whoever it is. But you have to I feel like you have to have that. Um, And Mm. I was really fortunate and blessed to have my dad in that role all the time. I didn't have to go anywhere else for it. Yeah, it seemed like I, I mean, when you got to school, uh, we're going to jump around a little here, but I, I know when you got to school and, um, you know, you you found you got like introduced to, you know, Chuck and Don and everybody. I could I definitely could tell like you gravitated towards Don and his personality and, and, and Chuck, too. But really, it seemed like Don's personality is what you gravitated to the most. Um, and honestly, I mean, who wouldn't want to be Don yeah. <laughs> In 2005, I mean, the dude, the dude did whatever he wanted and got everything he yeah. wanted. Um, and, um, like, he was just, I mean, it was great to be around him, right? Um, but, like, I think you touched on a good piece where that I actually experienced, too, because we kind of came from the same background. Like, it was one of the first times I was around that many Black right. people. And that that's saying a lot, yeah. right? Because, I mean, Bucknell has almost, like, virtually none, <laughs> you know, like it outside of sports and posse, right. like how many black people are? I couldn't know? tell you. Yeah. Um, right. So um, you, you like that actually was something that was new for me um, that I experienced as well. So like, I mean, tell me kind of the, some of the dynamics that you, ex- that you went through. Uh, Cause I'm sure like mine are similar. Yeah, definitely. So obviously um, I went to high school in Mendham. Mendham had two stoplights and uh, literally everybody was, affluent and white everyone like i went to school with um was that their parents were doctors or lawyers or um something prestigious um and Mm. my dad was you know far along enough in his career to where he had built up this really essentially this wealth to put us in this you know in this town that we didn't necessarily belong um, but I was mm. always, I was always able to fall back on sports. Um, and what, real quick, what, why do you believe you didn't belong? Um, I, I felt like I didn't belong because I, I mean, cause I was black. Got you. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Everybody yeah. else was, everyone else was white. Um, and I had obviously, you know, gone through that, um, throughout my upbringing, but it was always that kind of feeling of, okay, I'm not really supposed to be here. Um, Mm. And I was always able to kind of fall back on sports, which I'm sure a lot of people can say. And it's like, if you can, if you can play basketball, everybody wants to be your friend, regardless if you're white or black or whatever. (laughs) Um, Is that so true? It really is. Um, And, you know, graduating from, from Mendham and then going to Bucknell, which is pretty much the same as, where I came from as, as far as Mendham goes, like we went to uh, college with, I think the daughter of like the CEO of Microsoft or something like something crazy like that at one point. And when you, when you get to school and you, I've, uh, you know, you come from that background, it should be a a comfort level because if you're already, you've already kind of been through it, but Mm -hmm. I was kind of thrown because I'm not gravitating gravitating towards the the white kids on my team. I'm gravitating gravita- um, gravitating towards the, the black kids, um, mm. which I thought was a weird dynamic and a weird kind of mental switch. So, I'm. It's it's so funny, and I'm kind of butchering this explanation, but I found that comfort in having white friends because I've always had white friends. But you also have in the back of your mind, like, okay, I'm black. I know I'm I'm kind of the odd man out. And then when you get to school and you're surrounded by your teammates who are, are mostly black, and it's like you kind of don't feel like you belong with them either. Mm. So it's like you're mm. kind of caught in the middle where, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be down, but right, I right. don't really necessarily move the same way because I haven't been around black kids growing up. So it's then like, all right, let me go back to my comfort zone with my white my white friends, but I don't really feel comfortable there either because I'm the only black kid. So it's like a weird yeah. kind of dynamic, yeah. And, and you're kind of yeah. in the middle, yeah. and 
um, like I said, I was so thirsty for that brotherhood um, mm. because I hadn't had it growing up. And, and now I have it. And I'm like, OK, now I'm trying to navigate. How do I how do I move um, within this within this group? So I don't feel yeah. odd, like the odd man out. Um, so I struggled with that for probably the first two years um, until we really got kind of comfortable living in the gateways where everybody was always around. Because um, at first it was mm-hmm. just Drew and I. Drew is um, one of my best friends, but he was my, um, I, I mean, I'm saying this for the audience, not for you, you know Drew, but um, he obviously a white kid and Drew is so fun loving and making jokes and it made me feel real comfortable. But at the same time, again, I was longing for that camaraderie with my black, with my black, my black teammates and trying to figure out how do I move in that, in that dynamic as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can start to see why we grab it. Like we, we can't, we, we are connected so easily because a lot of the same social pressures that you've experienced uh, I mean, they're, they're, you can pretty much carbon copy them for mm-hmm. me. So, um, like hi- high school, all white high school, few black friends. Um, but when I got to Bucknell, I was like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, like, I've never met anyone like Don. You know what I mean? A dude talked like he was from New right. York and, and he actually wasn't from New York, he was from Long Island. <laughs> Don't uh, tell him that, though. <laughs> and then a dude like Holland, who was just so charismatic. I do like Tariq, who like is oddly eloquent right. and articulate. Right. His side, you just don't expect those like those types of words to come out of a big dude's mouth. And then just a dude like an all-American dude like Chuck, right. you know what I mean? Who, I mean, he just has that. He has it all. Has, has literally has everything you mm-hmm. would want. And um, how they navigated through college, you know, just how they communicated with both sides of the, of the spectrum. So like they knew how to communicate with the white people. They knew how to communicate with the black people and both sides love it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And then like, and we like internally, we call this like crossing mm-hmm. over, you know what I mean? Um, and we used to always say Chuck and DB, they're crossover Kings because they knew how to talk when they were around us. They knew how to let their hair down, but when they were around other people, right. like they fit right in. And it was just, I, I was amazed um, by the, by the char- charisma everybody had. Yeah. Um, so that's what drew me. And, and, and I, I totally feel you. I was just like, I literally was like a little bit like intoxicated mm-hmm. by how incredibly social they were. So um, it, I, t- I learned a lot because I was definitely shy uh, coming into to college as well. Um, so you mentioned, uh, like that you and jazz potentially want to have kids um and i know this is by by no means if you don't want to tuck, take it here you don't have to but uh you brought it up so i'm just gonna follow yeah, up yeah. on it um when when it comes to kids is there any kind of values that you kind of have in mind that you want to instill stuff you want to bring and kind of recycle from what your your pops taught you um is there stuff that you and jazz have kind of discussed internally that you want to kind of incorporate into parenthood tell me a little bit about that yeah um we haven't discussed too much just to keep it keep it honest um about values that we as parents want to instill like like that conversation as a couple i know in in my mind um there are certain things that i definitely want to instill in in my child um this is directly from my father with this work ethic um, mm. and my, my dad, um, he taught me something when I was younger and I feel like with a lot of, you know, wisdom that your parents bestow on you, you don't really get it until it, it just like clicks one year, you know? And some yeah, of the things yeah. that he used to talk to, to tell me are starting to click now as I'm, as I'm older. Um, but he put this in my mind that essentially you are a product. So Hmm. um, with every product comes a certain type of um, understanding of what you're getting with that product. Right. So if you, if you go out and you, and you looking for toothpaste say, and you see all these different toothpastes on, on the, um, 
on the shelves and you go with Colgate and you've, you've, you know exactly what to expect from a Colgate tooth, toothpaste. And he dialed that back to us as people. And it's like, okay, if I'm picking up Colgate brand, I have a certain expectation. And mm. people are the same way where if, and this can go directly to like a, like a job, if you're applying for a job, you know, what mm. expectations are coming with Rob Thomas? Like um, you're expecting someone who's hardworking. If, the, if your name is going to be on it, it's going to be done right the first time. Um, owning up to your mistakes. And you know exactly what product you're getting with this person. And it sounds very, I don't know the right word for it. Uh, sounds en- ent- enterprising. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think because my dad is so business oriented, like that's how it came out. Um, but I definitely wanted to bestow in, in my kids, you know, kind of that, that same notion of, you know, you're going out into the world and, and what type of, expectation do you want to set for yourself with with other people um you know are you going to be a hard worker are you going to be honest are you going to you know treat everybody the way that you you feel that they you should be treated um not take any mess from somebody if they're messing with you um but also you're not the first person to to strike um and i I'm not really sure how I'm going to go about doing that because I, I don't have a little one yet, but there are definitely those things that I want to make sure that they understand. And especially um, a child of color, I think it's going to be really important with how you carry yourself um, as they get older and making sure that they understand how the world works. I think that's that's really important to me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, a few things stand out to me there. Um, First is, like, your dad just seems like the type of dude he could probably start a business today and get it popping pretty soon. You know what I mean? It just seems like the type of dude who knows how to, like, turn every stone and, like, he'll find anything he finds, it'll be in better shape once he's done It's funny that you say that because he just did start his own (laughs) business. Uh, but yeah, can continue. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, what strikes me is how like, like, um, polar opposites you two. Yeah. Um, because to me, like the one thing I think when I think about Rob Thomas, I think of like you junior, uh, you, I think about someone who's incredibly vulnerable right and is not afraid to show his vulnerability and honestly i get that i like i find strength in that because i have a hard time showing how vulnerable i actually am in certain situations Mm -hmm. but um and i know like the way after the way you talked to me about your father there's no way your father was like so rob this is how you open up oh definitely no way no way (laughs) (laughs) so it's just really interesting to me that you've kind of just uh, kind of just kind of adapt adapted some well adopted some of these traits. Uh, I'm not sure who or how, but it's. I mean, I'm assuming maybe your mother or some sort of lineage you have. But it's amazing how you've adopted these traits. But like they don't really come directly from your father. Who, I mean, it seems like he's probably the most influential person you've you've had. Yeah, in your life. yeah. Um, my mom is a completely different different story. She wears her emotions on her sleeve. If she doesn't like you, you're gonna know about it. Um, <laughs> just that that iconic Southern black woman, um, mm. very very uh, family oriented and understands the value of family and makes sure that everybody understands that she understands that. Uh, she's like, no one's gonna mess with my baby, or you know, this is this is yeah. my child and. Uh, yeah. she'll, 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 uh, she'll curse somebody out in a second if she needs to. <laughs> um, and it's, they're, they're so, my mom and my dad, like my dad is, I don't, I've rarely heard him raise his voice. And usually if he does, it's regarding basketball and how terrible I'm playing or something like that. <laughs> but anything outside of that, he's always very even keeled. 
Um, and my mom is kind of a firecracker at times. So huh. I guess trying to trying to blend that, but also find your own path for yourself. Um, because I'm not, you know, a really a loud person. I'm not, um, I am emotional, but I try to bottle those things up. I mean, you've seen me at my most vulnerable, but I don't really portray that or try to portray that to a lot of people. I really, really mm-hmm. bottle those emotions up because I've always been the type of person to where, you know, I don't want to burden anybody else with my problems. And I'm sure a lot of people are like that. Um, so I kind of mm-hmm. bury them instead of talking about them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't know. It's, it's a kind of like a hybrid with my both of my parents, but then also kind of it's going to sound weird picking and choosing what things I like about people that I care about and try and implementing them into myself. If that Hmm. makes sense. Um, Yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Trying to just kind of become this hybrid of a human with all of the good things and none of the bad, which is, you know, easier said than done. Um, Sure. But that's always, I've always been a very observant person and then try to kind of emulate or, or replicate those certain traits um, and then kind of mold myself into that type of person. No, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of feel like uh, I'm a little bit of the same. I'm very much an open system. Uh, I try my best. I, I know I'm a little stubborn, so I try to really be cognizant of that. And um, like, I actually, out of, I, like, out of sheer stubbornness, this is really stubborn, but I'm so stubborn that I will, in order to prove myself wrong that I'm stubborn, I'll get, I'll try to be less stubborn. <laughs> if, um, so it's, this is on, honestly, I just, uh, it's an issue, but you know, we're all, uh, we're all working. Oh, on yeah. stuff. So um, let's talk a little bit about basketball because it's such a big part of our lives. And um, I mean, this is kind of how we, uh, the origin story of how we all, how we all met to be honest. So um, kind of just talk, talk a little bit about what basketball meant to you. Um, I mean, because it's something you play for a large part of your life. You played in college. Mm-hmm. You played after college. Um, I don't know if you still play. I'm assuming you probably do a little bit. But um, just kind of any lessons, any experiences, stories, anecdotes you want to share about basketball? Yeah, my um, sports was always um, really important. It's, it still is very important to my family. My dad played. Um, he played when he was in the Marines. Um, he had a quick stint with the Houston Rockets on the summer league back in the day. I didn't know. Yeah, okay. he was a he was a hooper and always really really competitive. Um, and it's funny. Uh, growing up, I didn't really start playing sports. I I started kind of kind of late. I was always into like Legos and drawing <laughs> and like building things. And my dad was like, "Are you sure? Like you're my son? Because um, this is something ain't lining up right." <laughs> Um, but a little Dr. Carter, yeah. Uh, we got a little... <laughs> um, so it was around, I guess I would have been elementary school where, um, it's funny again, you know, growing up in affluent areas, this at this, I went to an elementary school in California and I was drawing one day. I remember this super vividly drawing with, with one of my friends, his name was Bo. Um, and this, black kid had just started um at the school and he came from georgia and he he was playing basketball and i'm like he at recess he would go pick up the basketball he would shoot around and i was i i remember looking kind of inward being like am i doing the right thing um Hmm. as far as like i'm drawing with my white friend here where i could be and there's nothing wrong with that but it kind of made me reflect or like just look inward and be like, maybe I want to give sports a shot. So I ended up, you know, shooting around with him. And from that point on, like you would never see me without a basketball. Um, Basketball was always kind of a safe place. Again, um, butchering this now, but growing up in affluent areas, being the only black kid and feeling out of place. um, I was always able to go to basketball as my safe place. And um, with those kids, like, Everyone likes the kid that gets, that's that's good at sports, um, uh, and no, that, yeah, that's like at that age, that's like that's like the best currency you can have. Oh yeah, is, a- is being an athlete. And yeah. I used to get invited to slumber parties and birthday parties based on 
my ability to play basketball, <laughs> which is kind of sad, but true. And um, I knew that I wanted to to play in college. And if I had the ability to, to play after college, that would have been awesome as well, trying to follow in my dad's footsteps. And um, I don't play anymore. I don't even own basketball shoes anymore. Um, it was such a part of my life for so long. And now that I'm transitioned out, I don't, I don't really miss it, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. But, you know, like I said, basketball was always that, that safe place where you could go. And my high school coach, um, he said something that's, that's always really stuck with me. And he was like, basketball is the one sport that you can get better at and you don't need anybody else around you. All you need is a basketball and a hoop. Like, if you think about other sports um, – Baseball, you need somebody to catch with or somebody to throw you the mm. ball so you can hit it. Tennis, you need somebody to, to, you know, serve it back to you. Football, you need somebody to – you need a QB to throw it to you if you're a wide receiver. Right. You know, you always need somebody else. But with basketball, all you need is a ball and a hoop, and you have no excuse for not being as good as you can possibly be. Mm. And when I got to Bucknell – um, you know, trying to navigate my way through, you know, kind of being on your own for the first time in your life. Um, your parents aren't really on you about going to class and things like that. So you're kind of exposing yourself to other things. Um, I mean, you know me, I, I like used to like to go out. I used to like to drink. I used to talk to girls. Like everything mm-hmm. kind of other than basketball. And you were like the hardest working basketball player I've ever seen in my life. So you would be in the gym early in the morning, late at night, like getting shots up, working on your game. And Coach Flynn, uh, I was in a one-on-one meeting with him or whatever, and he was like, you know, you don't work as hard as Abe does. And you were always, you know, in the film room, just doing as much as you can to be as as good as you as you possibly could. And I was like... Doing the most. Doing the most. And I was like... I know I'm not working that hard. Like, so <laughs> I, I had Damn to, right, Coach. Yeah, Damn right. You are, you are on the money. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I've always loved the game. Um, I was able to play after school for a little bit. Um, but it just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I, I don't love it that much anymore. And I was okay mm-hmm. with kind of walking away. Injuries had a little bit to do with that. But I was, I was okay with just walking away. Um, and I don't miss it. Uh, but I, I'm always grateful to the game of basketball for bringing certain people into my life, um, like you and Drew and DB and all these guys. Like I wouldn't have those relationships if it wasn't for basketball. So I'm eternally grateful for the game. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I have the same sentiments. I, uh, you know, I think back on those days, and there's two things that I can always like truly forever be indebted to basketball for and that was um the people and then the lessons that the people those people taught me mm-hmm. um, just because they still hold true today like there's some things that you know you'll face at work or in life and I can easily reference a basketball moment to show to teach me how to deal with it right it's, just, it's like that easy for me so uh probably the best teacher I ever had you know um in terms of just like life lessons, you know, my mother, uh, as hardworking as she was, um, she was a great mother, but like I was around basketball more than I was around her for a good part of my, mm-hmm. uh, always around the game. I was, I was always there. And then, you know, when you get to college, uh, I think, uh, a little bit of like how the, the reason why I think I worked so much was just because I think that's all I really knew. You know, I, I you, you, you guys, you, DB, uh, Chuck, I think you guys are all very comfortable in your own skin with, like, socially. And I, I just wasn't there yet, you know, socially. I don't think I was in, like, an element where I could fully express myself socially and without, like, compromising something that was hard, like, that I had a hard time, like, uh, capitulating to. So um, I, just, I just buried myself in basketball. I, I really believe that was, like, a big reason why. I was always in the gym, yeah. but um, no, it, it's a great game. The people are incredible uh, that, that we both met. 
Um, is there like you want to like give a shout out to the few people that you think were just like, man, this without this dude or without this guy or coach or lady, um, any like really influential people? And it doesn't have to be college; it could be whatever. Yeah, I mean my my high school coach for sure, Coach Baglin. Um, he gave me every opportunity to be as good as I as I possibly could. Um, he was. Again, like I said, he was that one that was like, you know, if you really want to be good at this, all you can, you know, the only person to blame is yourself if you're not. Um, and just that 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 work ethic. Obviously, my 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 parents, um, a couple of my high school friends, Sean and Pat, who you've met many times, yeah. both, both yeah. crazy. Um, but Sean, Sean is like the most loving, embracing person that I have in my circle um when I came back from Argentina I had surgery I was kind of laid up he's the one that convinced me to move back to New Jersey and I didn't have a I didn't have a job I didn't really have you know too much money saved up and his mom opened her doors to her house to me for like five years and I lived with wow. Sean and his mom and their dogs and in under Sean's mom's, you know, roof. And she treated me like one of her own kids. And wow. I say to this day, like she's, she's a second mom. Um, I send, wow. I send her a mother's day card and flowers every year. We spend Thanksgiving over there all the time still. Um, so she's been somebody that, and she gave me my, my first actual real job outside of basketball. I was, um, She's on the um, the board of education, special education for um, this county in New Jersey, and she gave me a job as an autistic aide. So I worked with autistic students for two years, um, wow. and she was the first person to believe that I could do something outside of basketball and outside of my my family. Obviously, uh, she gave me that chance. So big shout out to her. Her name is Jean Ulichny or Jean O'Connell. Sorry, Sean's last name is Ulichny. Um, hmm. and man, who else? You obviously are on, on that <laughs> list. Um, the conversations, well, that, damn. Right? <laughs> the conversations that you and I have had together, um, the things that we've shared, um, you'll always be somebody that, that I hold close to my heart and always somebody that I want to be better for. Um, and I hope, you know, that feeling is mutual, but yeah, is um, mutual. I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends in a lot of different places and um, they all feel like family. Like, you know, you, mm. you don't really necessarily get to pick who your family is. You get to pick your friends and then they become your family. But um, I really think mm. that's true for the people that we have in, in our circle. And I'm, I'm always grateful for that. Yeah, man. I, I, one thing I definitely learned from you, you, you go hard for your friends, man. Yeah. Like, you go hard for your friends you know like uh what's that song that um drake said um man i love my team uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's you <laughs> i know i know Rob. every time that song come out he's like push roll yeah. pass, <laughs> but that's you man um you embody that and i think you know a lot of it has to do i mean a lot of these relationships are through basketball but isn't it remarkable that were not for this game, this silly little ball, like you probably, people wouldn't have identified your spirit. You know, they wouldn't have known who you were. You probably wouldn't have, you know, you would have, you know, gone down another path, who, which could have been good or not, who knows. But right. just amazing how, like, all these chips fall because you decided to pick up a ball some one day, yeah. you know? Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the future, man. Um what, like what you got going on in terms of aspirations, uh, what the future looks like for you, anything you're looking forward to. Yeah. Um, you know, business wise, vocational wise, spiritually, you, 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 whatever you want to, wherever you want to take it. Yeah. I mean, um, really first is just continue to build on Jazz and I's relationship as a married couple. You know, we're about to be two years in and we still have a lot to learn from each other and, and grow and continue to, you know, build that love between us because um, the job is really never, never done. Um, mm. So just continuing to grow, grow in that relationship. Um, I actually just put in my two week notice today for my current job. I'm starting a new job in, in November. 
Um, wow. as a, and we talked a little bit about this, but um, an HR payroll benefits manager for, for a small startup. So I'm looking forward to, you know, doing that. I've been in payroll for eight years, almost eight years now, which is hard to believe. Um, but I've, what'd you say? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, so, and I've always been kind of on that, that third party side and now moving, uh, into internally what the company is going to be complete 180. Um, but I'm looking forward to the challenge. Um, obviously we have our little thing going on with, with Gary and Donald and Holland, uh, that I'm really looking forward to and exploring how we, develop that and grow that um i couldn't ask for a better crew to be you know doing some some entrepreneurial type stuff and um it's it's funny thinking about the group that we have like obviously you have your own you know entrepreneurial spirit and you've created something out of nothing um which i always admire you for and i have those same thoughts and I kind of start something, but I never finish it. And I think it's, I'm a, I'm a why guy and not necessarily a how guy. And Mm. what I mean by that is like, I know why something should probably exist. Um, I can see it in my mind, but I can't make it real. And that's that how, Mm. that how part of it. And I just don't, I've never, I, ha- I haven't found that part of myself yet. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, what we have going on with our group because I don't necessarily have to be both, right? Yeah. So I can have those ideas and shoot them out to the group and we all kind of run with it how we see fit and we become our own how guy, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, to then get the needle moving, which I'm really excited about because I, I haven't been able to make that leap just yet by myself. Sure. Sure. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And um, my birthday's coming up. So there's always that cliche time Damn, for self, self-reflection. Um, Damn, there's, so right. Yeah. So um, yeah, every year around my birthday and then obviously around the new year, you kind of start thinking about things and it's like, like I said, it's that cliche time for, for reflection and where do you see yourself and all these things. And then you don't end up doing anything with it. <laughs> so hopefully I can change that within this year coming up. Um, and, you know, just making sure that everybody in my circle is good, as I've always tried to do. Um, being it. being there for other people and whatever they need and just being my best for them. I love it. I love it. Um few more things and then we'll I'll let you go here um you I mean I actually just discovered this from you there was one day I was texting you and we were talking about something like some company we text all the time about business and stuff but there was one text I sent you and then you sent me this explanation that was like really out of left field but it was almost like you were making a you were making a leap in terms of like like a reason like an equivalency I think and it, w- and it was tied to human behavior. So, like, I think we were, like, let's here. So, like, let's say I said, hey, what do you think about what Facebook did? And you're like, well, if you think about how we started as human beings, we weren't really. <laughs> <laughs> and you went, it was, it had to be at least, I would probably say 200 words. Yeah, it was, um, it was a lot. It was, I was like, okay, great. Yeah. So, <laughs> got it <laughs> you know? yeah. and I was like man I realized how much you were into my, like when and when I see those kind of texts I'm like all right he just probably just put the book down and it was just on his mind it was fresh or something you know but um I'm curious like what interests you in you know I guess you could say human behavior because it seems like or even anthropolo- anthropology anthropology mm-hmm. um it seems like these are types of things that you kind of uh, gravitate to in terms of like when it's when it comes to just like seeking your and, and like satisfying your curiosity yeah I um really not until recent probably maybe three or four years ago um, I was never a reader um, I always kind of looked at reading as something that I was required to do and it was really because the only thing that I was reading about was really stuff for school or stuff for work and I didn't really 
it wasn't satisfying to me until I started reading. Um, my sister actually put me onto the power of now, um, hmm. which is who wrote that? Eckhart Tolle. You know? Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, okay. I, he's a beast. Yeah, he is. He that's a that's a different dude. Um, yeah. But German dude, right? yeah, German. yeah, German. Yeah. Um, his his background is really crazy. Uh, we won't get into all that, but um, yeah, she put me onto that book, and I really started um gravitating towards really like i mean it sounds weird but self-help books almost and how i can kind of better myself or maybe get a different perspective on things and as i kind of alluded to before like i've i've never really been that comfortable with myself um so trying to figure out what can i what what traits can i pull from people that i respect or people that are in my circle and kind of mold that and kind of reinvent myself or create this identity or persona for myself. Um, and I've always been kind of gravi- gravitated towards, you know, like I said, the self-help and understanding how the mind works as far as why do we do the things that we do um, and how that will affect those people around us so I mentioned before you know trying to my dad brought it up to me um being the best version of myself in order to present that that version to the people that I care about and being able to help them like I mean if you're not feeling great about yourself or you have a lot going on and you're not taking care of yourself how can you then expect to if you give me a call and you're going through something and I can't, I can't help you um, because mm. I'm so engulfed in what I got going on or I'm not in the best place. So it's, it's, it sounds selfish on the surface, you know, taking care of yourself. But only if you're good, then you can offer, you know, the best advice or the best, even if it's just listening to somebody, um, you can offer that person to whoever is actually in need. And I've always been somebody who always wanted to help those people that I care about. So really trying to understand um, why I do the things that I do, why other people around me do the things that they do. It's always been something that's really, really intriguing to me. And it really started with that, with that book of trying to be present and always in the moment, um, not thinking about, you know, things that have happened in the past or things that are, are to come, but really trying to stay in the moment. And um, you're someone who is so, um committed to to your faith um something that i've always admired about you and meditating and praying and um you know just trying to be yourself and be present and be mindful of your own space um Mm. so that's something that i've i've always admired about you as well so just trying to get as much knowledge and information about those types of things so that i can use it and then help it to, to, you know, help other people. I love it. I love it. Um, every time, like, I meet old friends from Bucknell, they always ask me about you. Really? Of all the people, of all the people that I get asked about, everyone's like, how's Rob? That's interesting. Because like, it is interesting, but I think I know why. Because, like, by and large, if you were just, like, if we just, like, um, if we're all blind, right, and we could just feel like hear people talk, and we only only reason only way we'd know someone's around is if people were talking and stuff like that, you would be like non-existent because you're not like an outsider, right. right. you're, you're a very like unassuming person. Um, but now that since like we all can see, you have like you obviously like people who haven't seen Rob, he's like six foot three, he's a very good looking man. You know, he's tall. You know, dark, handsome. You got you know. <laughs> Pats in all the right places. Like it's it's hard to, and then he's really well dressed. You know what I mean? Like usually the best dressed dude in the room. I appreciate that. It's hard to like. It's hard to miss. You. So like, it, but the thing is, like, you're lar- like you're wildly unassuming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So <laughs> when someone sees you and they're just like, "Why is a dude who has all this, all this, that's chilling over there in the corner, is like you know, look, looking at him, looking at his thumbs?" You know what yeah. I mean? It's just strange. So I think. It's like it has like this really um, 
piercing image in people's head every time they come across you. And I think that's why. I, that's my theory, at least. Yeah. But um, that is, that's really interesting everyone, to hear. Every, everyone always asks me about you. So I really want to, um, and I think because, you know, I think uh, like when I show them like your, you know, the, your old videos with my own body and stuff like that. It was really incredible to see some of those workouts because you could tell like it took an amazing amount of discipline to get to that point. So are there any like hab- daily habits, daily hacks that you um, like intentively do uh, that like other people that, that you think other people should know? Because I, I know you do a lot for, you, you know, you've read all these self-help books and you've got a lot of these um, ideologies in your head. Yeah. Is there anything that you put like you like? that you put to practice that you think other people should know? Um, I write a lot. Um, And it's nothing like really formal. It's usually just kind of one of those like brain dump type things uh, where you just kind of open up the notes on your phone and jot out whatever is, is on your mind. And another thing, going back to my dad, he, um, he always put in my mind, if you want something to happen, you got to put it down on paper first, Um, Mm. which, you know, funny enough you know this is called black man white paper and you know kind of putting your yeah. putting your your thoughts down to make a plan to move forward um i did not i did not have him say that like i did not pay him to say that yeah yeah he's very goal oriented um he has and I, i've always seen him you know writing things down and he's always i've always been um really impressed with his penmanship and not even just the penmanship, but the pens that he uses. They're like these old world, like Mont Blanc type. I'm like, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how much did that cost? And it's just a writing utensil. But um, he's always, you know, kind of, he's always, that's always been something that's really important to him. And he's definitely passed that on to me. So um, I write a lot. I would implore everybody to, if you have something in your mind, um, to write it down. Um, even if you don't even move forward with it, but to, that's how you make it real. So you get it out of your mind, which is not not necessarily real. You can't really do too much with it other than mull it over in your head. Just get it out and just start writing and kind of don't think about the next word or the next sentence, but just kind of let your mind go where it needs to go. And you'll be really surprised about what the end product is. Um, even if it only makes sense to yourself, at least you were able to get that out of your mind to kind of declutter your thoughts so that new information can be absorbed or come in or new thoughts can be thought up. Um, so just kind of get that out. And like I said, I, I, I write a lot. So um, it's something I that I find, find joy in. That's awesome. That's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this is the end of it. So um, unless there's anything else you want to cover, uh, I uh-huh. got... Uh, no, man, I was going to make sure that you're good. Everything's straight with I'm, you. So, so, yeah, I'm good. So usually how I finish off is I'm going to read five words to you, okay? Um, there's, this is not a test, not a quiz. I'm just going to say five words, these abstract uh, words, and um, you, whatever your mind discriminates by hearing that word, just utter it out. It could be another word in response to it. It could be a number of words. It could be a whole dissertation. Okay. But um, I'm just going to throw it at you. All right. All right. So first word, happiness. Work. Okay. Uh, love. Non-reactive. Mm. Uh, friends. Um, the most. Um, okay. Huh? No, I'm joking. What did you say? You no. said oh, no. No. Um, um, the most the the most important relationship got it uh habits um habits easily broken mm. and last one future bright love it Love it. Great way to finish, my man. Much love to you, bro. I appreciate you. You too, Deb. I really appreciate you taking the time to to chop it up with me. I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot. This is good good for for me. I learned a lot about my homie. So thanks, man. I appreciate you, Deb. All right, bro. Later.